Good morning, everyone. It's time for another edition of Transformation Radio. Oh, 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 oh. 
disappointments and sorrows But I'm gonna try to give a little hope to you And now time for our reading in the New Testament And today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 29 Go through chapter 2 and verse 12 each gospel writer had a slightly different perspective as he wrote. Thus, the comparable stories in the Gospels often highlight different details. In Matthew, Jesus touched the woman's hand. In Mark, he helped her up. In Luke, he spoke to the fever, and it left her. The accounts do not conflict. Just as four people might witness the same event and all recount different details, so each gospel writer simply emphasized different details of the same story. The Jewish leaders had proclaimed that it was against the law to be healed on the Sabbath, if you can imagine that. Uh, The people didn't want to break this law or the Jewish law that prohibited traveling on the Sabbath, so they waited until sunset. Well, after the uh, sun went down on Saturday, the crowds were free to find Jesus so he could heal them. Now, why didn't Jesus want the demons to reveal who he was? Number one, by commanding the demons to remain silent. Jesus proved his authority and power over them. Number two, Jesus wanted the people to believe he was the Messiah because of what he said and did, not because of the demon's words. Number three, Jesus wanted to reveal his identity as the Messiah according to his timetable, not according to Satan's timetable. Were the disciples impatient that Jesus prayed in solitude while so much ministry waited to be done? How would you have responded You know, if, if you'd been the one to find Jesus in prayer? You know, it's easy to be caught up with ministry that you would neglect times of solitude, individual worship, and prayer. Perhaps you need to redesign your schedule to find time to spend with the Lord in earnest prayer and earnest communication. It's vitally important to, number one, seek the Lord before your busy schedule takes over your thoughts. Number two, withdraw from noise and demands so you can focus on God. Number three, take Jesus' attitude of regular communion with the Father. Number four, reflect on the priorities Jesus had for his life. And finally, number five, determine to pray on a more regular basis, not just in times of crisis. If prayer was important for Jesus, then it must be important for his followers, you and me. Pray, even if you have to get up very early in the morning to do it. All right, with that, let's begin our reading today, here in the New Testament. February 16th, the New Testament. Mark chapter 1, verse 29, through chapter 2, verse 12. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, 
preaching in the synagogues, and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Psalm 35, verses 17 through 28. Well, David cried out to God to defend him when people wrongly accused him. If you are unjustly accused, your natural reaction may be to lash out in revenge or to give a detailed defense of your every move. Instead, ask God to fight the battle for you. He will clear your name in the eyes of those who really matter. Psalm 35. Verses 17 through 28. How long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? Rescue me from their fierce attacks. Protect my life from these lions. Then I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will praise you before all the people. Don't let my treacherous enemies rejoice over my defeat. Don't let those who hate me without cause gloat over my sorrow. They don't talk of peace. They plot against innocent people who mind their own business. They shout, Aha! Aha! With our own eyes we saw him do it. O oh Lord, you know all about this. Do not stay silent. Do not abandon me now, O oh Lord. Wake up, rise to my defense. Take up my case, my God and my Lord. Declare me not guilty, O oh Lord my God, for you give justice. Don't let my enemies laugh about me in my troubles. Don't let them say, Look, we got what we wanted. Now we will eat him alive. 
May those who rejoice at my troubles be humiliated and disgraced. May those who triumph over me be covered with shame and dishonor. But give great joy to those who came to my defense. Let them continually say, Great is the Lord, who delights in blessing His servant with peace. Then I will proclaim your justice, and I will praise you all day long. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. The woman named Folly is brash. She is ignorant and doesn't know it. She sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city. She calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, Stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. But little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. These things shall pass And some great morning We'll look back and smile at heartaches we have known So don't forget When shadows gather The Lord our God is still the King Upon His throne A rose looks gray at midnight, but the flame is just asleep. And steel is strong because it knew the hammer and white heat. These things shall pass and life be sweeter when love and faith are strong, they cannot long endure. These things shall pass So don't you worry The darkest time Is just one hour before dawn So hold up high And face your trouble And don't despair If you must face them all alone A rose looks gray at midnight But the flame is just asleep And steel is strong Because it knew The hammer and white heat These things shall pass And life be sweeter When love and faith are strong They cannot long endure Uh, my name is Tate Hughes. I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, I was born and raised with a good family. Uh, I was saw a lot of some abuse growing up, but I really can't blame my addiction and the problems I have in life on that. Um, I was raised around the church, but I uh, kind of was just going through the motions. I wasn't walking with God. Coming where I'm from, everybody led that life, but it wasn't honest. I wasn't walking with God. It was just kind of the thing to do. Uh, throughout high school... In junior high, I was an all-American boy. I had a good life, played sports. Uh, at the age of 15, I took my first drink of alcohol. 
And from that point on, I would consider myself an addict. Um, my family moved to Ohio whenever I graduated from high school. Uh, I went to college and my addiction continued to progress. Uh, I got into opiates, uh, LSD and the other drugs, and it just led my life uh, down a horrible path. I've experienced everything that addicts experience, broken relationships, legal, trouble, legal troubles. Um, it's just, it's, my life was a train wreck. It took me down through there. Um, it's taken everything from me. Whenever I moved to Ohio uh, two years ago, uh, I fell into the heroin epidemic here. And it was, it just suited my life. It was what I was looking for. I was living for the flesh. I was dead spiritually. Um, and heroin took everything from me. It took my car, my job, my life, my girl. Uh, I had nothing left. I, I hit the rock bottom. Um, my mom found out about the refuge ministries. And at this point, I was ready to try anything. I knew God had been with me. I've seen some things that cannot be explained other than God. So, I, like I said, I was at the bottom of the barrel. I had to give myself, I had to try something. Uh, through coming to the refuge, I've reestablished my relationship with God. I've been able to get some things off my chest that's really been holding me in my addiction. Uh, and today I realize that the only way that I can live a sober life and a functional life is through God. Um, there's no other way for me. I've tried it. My way is the way of the flesh. Is the way of living out there doing drugs. Um, I've been given a second chance in life. Um, for there's no doing of my own. Um, yeah, Christ is saving me. And if there's one thing I can say right now is give God a chance. Uh, he's wonderful. He's awesome. He's changing me. And I know with the type of person I am that there's the only thing that can change me is God. And uh, I love you guys. And Glad to be here. My name is Cody Thorpe. Um, I just wanted to give an affirmation out to Bobby Boehner for returning to the refuge. And uh, just keep your head up, man. I know that you're here for the right reasons this time. you got that little girl to get back to. Um, God is going to do amazing work in your life this time around, and I truly believe that. And, you know, I've seen your obedience before, and I know you'll just go further this time around. Can't wait to see what the Lord's got in store for you. Love you, man. Good morning, this is Mike Wells, pastor of First Phase. I'm going to be reading from Heaven on Earth, one year devotional. And today's title is Pain and Promise. And I'll be reading from Romans 8.17. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. And the devotional goes on to say this. In some areas of the world, people are flocking into the kingdom. In many, however, people tend to explore the Christian faith, grab hold of salvation, develop some degree of a personal relationship with God, especially for purposes of prayer and receiving from Him, and carry on with their daily activities as usual. In other words, they major on salvation, but not on the kingdom community. That's a start but it isn't a kingdom lifestyle. Why are many reluctant to immerse themselves in a kingdom lifestyle? Because that lifestyle involves sacrifice and usually a fair amount of pain. Christianity places no value in suffering for the sake of suffering. But 
Suffering is usually a byproduct of our faith. When we enter a new kingdom, we unavoidably leave one behind. That can be traumatic for us and the people around us. It creates friction between us and the world. We embrace kingdom ways only at the expense of the ways of the world. That can involve tension or even rejection. Scripture makes it clear that there is enmity between God and the world. Not the created world, but the world systems that run counter to his character. Why wouldn't there be suffering in the kingdom? In this intern period, when the kingdom is growing in a hostile environment, pain happens. It's part of a life in this age. But pain isn't a permanent part of life. In the age to come, there will be no pain for those with royal blood. Kingdom citizenship will be nothing but blessing, far removed from the vestiges of the curse. But for now, we live in the friction. It isn't easy. We have to be prepared. Take heart. The foretaste of glory come with a promise of greater glory. God doesn't share his glory with rivals, but he freely gives it to his own. Our inheritance includes his own radiance within us, and this promise is far greater than any pain in the process. Warren Wearsby said this, Calvary is God's great proof that suffering in the will of God always leads to glory. And if you want additional reading, Acts 14.22. Touch of that gospel stuff, y'all. West Coast playlist. The ghetto sounds up in your ear. Y'all know how we do this, homeboy. I've been doing this thing from way back in the day. I'm the one that introduced gangster rap to the Christian industry and the sounds of the bay. 415-510, Oakland, Frisco, Cali. San Jose, Sacramento, full of my folks and family. California, where the players play every day. And the thugs be sipping on the Palisade, so I pray. For the Roman 60 Crips and Bible Bloods, Cali thugs. And them partners that be always shooting slugs, doing drugs. Trying to let them know that there's a Savior and his name is Jesus. Welfare and poverty Can't nobody take what the Lord gave me Cause this is God's property Houses, vehicles, platinum in this crushed ice Beautiful woman that got in brand new clothes So I can look nice For shizzle my nizzle God did all these things for me Took me out of the ghetto And he put me in the lap of luxury You're feeling down, look up A blessing's right around the corner No need to be tripping, stressing Vegas, scraping around for quarters Cause God said he would supply all you need That means the book's 
back in your car to drive a house and live in some school and suspending some food to eat. So stop the stress and play. Go on and count your blessings, player. Cause just the fact you're even breathing means you got your player. So the next time you see your pocket shrinking, getting smaller, don't even trip, partner. Just brush it off and pop your collar. I'm your collar. We make the music, make the party The sounds of the gospel rapping Godfather Doing it big Gospel Della music we give to church folk In the troublesome kids Doing it big Off it in your pride of the clay We doing it big To let them know the gospel rap lives Through a broken humble vessel called the Bony Bone Corleone Suckers trying to ban me but I'm still up on this microphone concludes today's broadcast. I pray that everyone who tuned in today was blessed by what they heard, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.